Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics Done Right from the studios of KPFT 90.1 FM, Houston, your community radio station. We have a great program for you today. Okay, today we have, of course, a newcomer, Vlad Debrinsky. He is a Ukrainian-American, and he's going to be here discussing what's happening in Ukraine. He's out there helping, uh, trying to help families, etc. But he's also going to give us a history of Ukraine, something that while we're looking at the war, there's a whole big piece that is missing. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Is Ukraine really a country? Is Ukraine, uh, does Russia has any... Uh, any takes on Ukraine in, or any claims to Ukraine, they don't. Uh, secondly, we're going to talk to Ted Weisgill. Ted Weisgill is a board member at KPFT. He's going to talk about uh, where we are, how we intend to grow, etc. And last but not least, our starting the program, we're going to have an inconvenient truth about the Mexican coyotes. What's the deal with these guys? Aren't they just capitalists? We are going to talk about that. But anyhow, you know, we get busy. Let's get busy. Eric Hayes says cartels are making upwards of a million per week on the people smuggling per Texas DPS, not even drugs here. And uh, how many millions are we making selling bombs? How many millions are we making doing a whole lot of things that we shouldn't be doing? I am not trying to justify the, the, the uh, coyotes. I'm not. I'm just saying, stop making it seem like these guys are doing something out of the ordinary. Those coyotes are just capitalists. That is what capitalists do. We, as capitalists, we do the same thing overseas, over here, all the time. We have to, as a society, we have to grow up and understand that the problem is not humanity, but economic systems and political systems. And when you understand that, you can then love everybody because you understand that they're just a product of an economic, a social economic religious system. That's why I can listen to Eric Hayes. That's why I can listen to Bruce. That's why I can listen to Norman and everybody and feel the same good feeling, no matter what you say, right? Eric Hayes says the coyotes are terrorists, period, point infinite. Really? Okay, then, then every capitalist is a terrorist then. You know, you take a you equate what a coyote does. 
there are people who need to be smuggled into the United States to get a job, not to conquer. They don't look. Let's let's be clear here. Coyotes are fulfilling a need. Let's stop. This may sound interesting to some. But there are people who want to come to the United States of America. The United States of America hire undocumented workers, okay? They do. The United States of America has corporations who, by design, they hire undocumented worker in the, in, the, in, the, in the chicken industry and all of that. The government knows it, and they most of the times they don't raid them. It's sort of a balance, period. But we know that America's economy depends on a lot of undocumented worker, whether you want to accept that or not. Now, that said, they have to get around the migra, these people that want to get over here. And some coyotes, some of them are ruthless, some are not. Some coyotes get the people over here in a more humane manner. Some of them just get them to the border and say, okay, go walk in the desert. And a lot of them die in the desert. That's horrendous. But capitalism does that. We go to Africa and we mine products that are developed, that are pulled out of the ground by kids that die or live short lives. We do that. Capitalism does that. But you see, when I talk about capitalism, a lot of ways is it's abstracted, right? The person who owns that diamond shop that makes those sandpaper that has diamonds on it to, to be effective, they don't see all those dead African kids that are digging in the mines. They don't see that, right? So as far as they're concerned, they can wear their suits and they work for a company that makes diamond sandpaper and they make good monies from it, right? But you don't see what happened behind the scenes. So again, what I try to do with my program here it's that we all are educated to reality. It's not about good or bad. When it comes to capitalism, anything goes. The coyotes are fulfilling a job. Manuel Antonio Noriega in Panama was fulfilling a need of the United States. Drugs. Those coyotes are fulfilling a need. America needs undocumented workers so that we can pay them less. And that's what they provide. Okay. Folks, uh, you guys know at KPFT, we have a board of directors. And what, I've start, what I'm starting to do, and Ted is going to be our first, is to introduce you to the board of directors and tell you where we are trying to take this station. How are we trying to improve the station? How are we trying to make things better for the entire Houston metropolitan area and all the areas that we cover as a radio station, not only on air, but over the Internet. So with us today and without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to brother Ted Wisegold. Ted, how are you doing today? Doing fine. Thank you. I Great. hope you are well. I am doing well, Ted. Anyhow, um, Ted, one of the reasons that I wanted to get you on is that you've been a longtime member of KPFT, a longtime activist in the community, uh, Robert's Rule guy who wrote a book on, on Robert's Rule, et cetera, et cetera. I wanted to first ask you to introduce yourself to our audience and let them know what you're all about. Well, for 32 years, I ran a lifelong learning program here in Houston called Leisure Learning Unlimited. I sold it, and four years later, it went out of business. A lot of people ask me whatever happened to Leisure Learning. Before that, I was a campus activities advisor at the University of Houston for five years. And before that, 
I got arrested at San Francisco State University. I was an outside agitator from San Jose State. I got arrested for unlawful assembly, failure to disperse and disturbing the peace. It was part of a five-month-long strike that was successful and led to the creation of the only College of Ethnic Studies in the United States. I participated in the celebration two years ago that marked the college's 50th anniversary. Uh, Black studies, Mexican-American studies or Latino studies, Asian studies, Middle Eastern studies, those are all parts of the college. Um, And I think it, well, I know it led to my being hired uh, to to work at the University of Houston. I spoke with one of the key players in all of that. Her name is Deborah Danberg. She was a student body vice president, but she ultimately became a member of the Texas legislature. And she said to me last week in reminding me as to why I got hired at U of H, and it was because I stood up for student rights. Well, there you go. I like the idea today. that you. I like the idea that you stand up for student rights, and seems like you're all around uh, activists for some time now, which is what, which is a core of what we do at KPFT uh, 90.1 FM Houston. Anyway, how did you? Uh, what turned on, What turned you on to KPFT? Uh, my sister. My sister. Uh, we both grew up in Los Angeles, and my sister who. Uh, wouldn't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance when she was in junior high and high school and ultimately quit school because of the harassment she experienced. She knew that there was KPFT in Houston, and she asked me, why aren't you involved? She had been a volunteer answering the phones during fund drives at the Los Angeles station KPFK, and she told me I ought to be involved with KPFT. So uh, when I saw an article in the Houston Peace News announcing a meeting at Rice University's Student Center uh, and talking about a change in the bylaws and a, a new day for KPFT, I attended and participated in meetings for about a year. And those meetings led to the rewriting of the Pacifica bylaws And I was uh, elected to the board in 2001 and have subsequently stayed involved ever since, either on the board or when you have to take a year off because uh, of term limits, I've been on committees. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I did a, no, a couple of months ago, I did a workshop for all of the boards across the country on a format just like this one, not just like a Zoom format. I did a workshop on Robert's Rules of Order for all five Pacific uh, uh, stations. Now, station uh, let me stop you right there. You, you've written a book on, uh, on Robert's Rules, right? Robert's Rules for Kids and Big Kids, a guide to teaching children of all ages the basics of parliamentary procedure. It begins in kindergarten. 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's you know well from our meetings that these are these procedures can become dim- difficult and cumbersome at times, especially uh, if you're like me who are not completely fluent in them. Anyhow, um, let me ask you this: uh, KPFT has just uh, sold its building. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? I think it was a necessary thing. Um, We had mold problems, internal problems with the uh, building at 419 Lovett. According to experts that we brought in, and I actually chaired a committee to um, go through this process, we brought in some mold experts, and they said it would cost about $100,000 to remediate uh, the station, the address being 419 Lovett Boulevard. Uh, so the building was sold for a million dollars, and I was informed at our most recent board meeting a week ago that our station is getting 800000 of that million dollars and the, or thereabouts, and the rest will be going to the Pacifica Foundation. Now, now speaking about all of that, so in, in effect, that uh, getting that... that uh, not having to spend that $100,000 and getting some funds for a new building, we can have a pretty nice and solid rebirth right here in Houston in new locate new locations, right? And going back to the birth, there were a lot of people involved, Deborah Danberg being one, uh, who was involved in getting the original station off the air in 1970, three years before I came to Houston. Uh, So what we need is people to get involved as uh, committee members, and they can go to the website to find out more about it, kpft.org. But yeah, we can rebirth this radio station the same way we did, but we need a lot of help. Now, it's interesting because uh, let's make it clear. In as much as we don't have a building right now, uh, KPFT, my show, Politics Done Right, and many other shows, uh, we all are on a server that we we, we give all fresh material, and it's still played live on air. So in as much as we don't have a studio right now, everybody's place and everybody with a show right now, they're giving you good material through their own studios. Now, uh, when that new building comes to fruition, which is we expect to be sometime this year, uh, it will be a new blast for everybody to see. So folks, what I think what Ted is going to make clear as well is there is a good reason to get involved, right, Ted? APFT is the station that is not beholden to large corporate sponsors. And as a result, for instance, the war between the Russians and the Ukrainians, you never hear the kind of money that is being made by the weapons manufacturers on all sides of that issue. On KPFT, we are not beholden to weapons manufacturers or anybody else so we can tell the unvarnished truth. That is so, I mean, uh, I think that is one of the most important statements made thus far, um, Ted, because uh, what, what folks can understand now is at KPFT, we, we don't owe advertising to anybody. So the only people that really makes that, <laughs> that we're really enthralled to 
are the supporters of the station. So um, let me ask you before I get into uh, how folks can support the station, et cetera. Where do you think right now, uh, KPFT used to be on the radio. There's a lot that we'd like to move forward to, to, to support other platforms. Are you, uh, are you seeing that those are the plans that we have, not only to move into radio, but online ventures and maybe who knows, certain other things that having a new venue will support. Well, you might want to correct me if I'm wrong about this, but my thinking is it's people talking into a microphone or music being played by whatever kind of a player it is. The bottom line is the platform that it goes out into the universe on whatever that is. It really doesn't matter. The bottom line is you have human beings talking to one another. You have music being played. So the technological side is a bit beyond my area of expertise. Brother Ted, I am so glad you answered the question that way. And let me tell you why. You mentioned the most important factor. It's about having the people. It's about having humans involved in the station and being a part of whatever we do. We will determine or not. We, we all will determine what's what the best platform at that time to distribute it. Is this best on an FM station? Is this best streaming? Is this best video? Is this best audio? So you are so right. The most important thing is having human beings become a part of the station and continue to support what we do, correct? Correct. And, uh, you know, I never really thought, and I don't think anybody else did, about the idea that, you know, we need a transmitter. And one of the reasons why that million dollars that we got for selling 419 Love It was to pay off the, the uh, Empire State Building where the transmitter in New York City st- uh, now resides. The bottom line is that that transmitter used to be on the towers of the World Trade Center. And we never thought that, oh, that building is going to collapse and we're going to have to find a new home and it's going to have to be quick and it's going to cost us a lot of money. Maybe we shouldn't be on an FM dial. I don't agree with that, but you have to factor in that transmitters cost you on a monthly basis. A lot of money, not as much here in Houston, where I think we have a transmitter out in far northwest Houston. Mm-hmm. But in New York, uh, it's on the top of the Empire State Building and costs us money every month. And we want to keep all five Pacifica radio stations on the air, or at least that's the decision that the uh, people on the national board, including the host of this program today, Edgar. Ed- Egberto uh, is on. So that's not my call. That's somebody else's. Well, you know what? It's uh, let me let me just qualify that uh, it's everybody's call. We are a family at uh, KPFT. We are a family at Pacifica and we go through all the, the we go through everything families go through, including growth. So um, we are growing our stations and we want to ensure that all folks or participants in the station, whatever city you're in, whatever state you're in, because like Ted said, 
you know, uh, the human beings, what matters and the form of the technology used to get it to your ears, to get truth to your ears is, is it's all over something that we'll do. So Ted, uh, in closing, give us a little uh, closing stage uh, statement. Let us know what you'd like to see our community do to enhance this station and to ensure that we can continue telling truth to power. Well, off the top of my head, I can think of three things that people should do. Number one, obviously right now they're doing it, and that is to listen to KPFT, either 90.1 or our HD channel. Uh, And with that, there's a 10-second, I think, delay. So when you flip to that station, there's going to be silence. So the average person who might just be running up and down the dial may not realize that there are two options right now when you listen to KPFT. The second thing is to contribute. You can contribute your time and membership in this organization is available for people who just volunteer their time. That's what the bylaws say. Or you can contribute money. The minimum is $25 a year to become a voting member and thus eligible to run for the local station board. And that is what people will be doing later this year as my term ends. Uh, So you can be on a committee and then you can uh, eventually, if you have that desire, you can become a programmer. Uh, But those are the three ways. Oh, wait, there's a fourth, and that is to promote the radio station. I've stood on some uh, bridges over downtown (laughs) Houston with a banner promoting Democracy Now!, which airs every weekday at 7 a.m. for an hour. And uh, you can uh, eventually, I hope soon, we will get bumper stickers again, and you'll be able to promote the station just by driving your car or parking it in a prominent location and not wasting fossil fuels. But you can um, you can volunteer in a variety of ways, and we need help. It's not just the 24 members of the local station board or the 22 members of the national board. We need people involved. Ted Weisgull, a board of director on the local station board of KPFT 90.1 FM. Thank you so kindly for all that you do for the station. Thank you so kindly for how you promote the station. And thank you just for being Ted. You have a wonderful day. And thank you for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you very much. As we all know, what's going on right now across the world that everybody's talking about is the Ukraine crisis. The The war in Ukraine, a war that... Very few of us really understand what's going on. Well, luckily today we have somebody from the region now living in the United States, but can help us understand what's going on. Vlad Debrinsky, thank you so kindly for being here on Politics Done Right. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Before we get started, Vlad, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little bit of context here. Yeah, I was born and raised in Ukraine. Until seven years old, I was there. Then from seven till 10, I lived in Siberia, in Yakutia, which is Far East Russia. Then I came back to Ukraine, and then uh, I went to college there. And then uh, I moved to Boston 
uh, in the early 90s, and I attended Berklee College of Music. Uh, I became a musician. Then I moved to New York City, and since then I lived in the States. So basically, I'm a 30-year-old citizen of America. But, um, you know, I've been also back to Ukraine since 2014, uh, and I opened a music school there called American Music Academy, affiliated with the Berklee College of Music. We did the school there and uh, in Kiev. And, uh, and I was going back and forth. And then from 2016, I was permanently based there because I married a Ukrainian girl and have a little kid. And uh, we opened another school in two, two locations. And just now, <clears throat> uh, last December, we came to uh, to the States sort of for Christmas, and we were going back on February 26 uh, to Kiev to open a new semester. And the 24th of February, as you know, the rockets, the Russian rockets started to, to bombard uh, the whole Ukraine, so we didn't go. So now we're based in Houston. Now, did you are 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 you uh, living pretty much in Ukraine? So what you're saying is that you uh, you were, you had moved back to Ukraine, and now you've just had to reestablish uh, yourself in the United right. States. Yeah, since 2016, I was permanently based in Ukraine. Yeah, well, tell us a little bit about Ukrainian history. You know, uh, in in America, there's a, we we are generally geographically challenged and politically. Uh, challenge as well. So give us a little bit of history, starting a little bit before you got into the Soviet Union, Soviet Union, and after the Soviet Union dissolved into back where uh, Ukraine regained its independence. Right. Um, Ukraine is an ancient sovereign state. Uh, the statehood itself was established uh, in the ninth century. Uh, it was called Kiev Rus. Uh, the language is Ukrainian, and the Canes were Ukrainian, but the heritage of the Canes were were the, were the Swedish uh, Vikings. So, and uh, the country was established from Kiev all the way to Crimea, but Crimea didn't did, uh, was not called Crimea at that time; it was called uh, a, a different name, uh, Tavria. And uh, uh, so, since then, uh, Ukraine was a big state. So then. Uh, in the 11th century, uh, Ukraine had become the largest European state on the continent. Uh, and uh, the Europeans know, I, I know the Americans don't know, but the Europeans know that every king of every uh, of every country had connection to Ukraine. The reason why, because uh, so there was a king, Yaroslav, and he had 11 daughters, and all the daughters were married, the uh, princes and kings in Europe. And because of that, uh, a lot of Ukrainian heritage like for example, Queen Elizabeth, so she's related to to Ukraine. the 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 main Queen Anne, Anna of France, is Ukrainian. She's daughter of a Prince, and so on and so forth. Belgium, you name it. Uh, and then, basically, that was happening until the 12th century. In 12th century, uh, as you know, the Golden Horde, the Mongol Tartars, uh, they went uh, from Mongolia at that time. Mongolia went to invade. Uh, the steppes of Ukraine. So that's eastern part of Ukraine. And uh, they went there and basically Kiev was burned down to the ground. Okay. And Kiev Rus sort of moved to the west. And uh, uh, Lviv was established at that time. And then the city called Ostroch, which is like a spiritual center of Ukraine. Uh, and since then, it just sort of like became uh, the second part of existence of independent state. Now, uh, the eastern part, was basically destroyed by Mongol Tartars, and that's how Crimea got established, right? Uh, and then, uh, in, 
I should say this. So there were at that time uh, two parts of Ukraine. So one part of more European and another part was uh, under the rule of uh, Mongol Tartars. However, the Mongol Tartars were defeated. That's why the Europeans don't speak the Tartar language, right? Uh, by Cossacks. Cossacks were Ukrainian fighters uh, that sort of uh, kind of fierce Ukrainian fighters. And uh, in 16th century, they, they defeated the Tartars basically to the ground. Uh, so, and since then, Ukraine was independent again. I mean, it always was, was independent, but it wasn't conquered. Uh, but then what happened, uh, the Rech Pospolita, which is the Polish-Lithuanian kingdom, started a war with Ukraine at that time. And uh, by doing so, the Ukrainian forces fought, and they didn't have much uh, winning gains there. And uh, what, what happened is that the, uh, the Russian prince at that time, uh, from a new a town called Moscow, and the country was called Moscovia, and, and the citizens were called Moscovites. Uh, they asked for help, so and they gave help. And since then, sort of speak, uh, uh, Ukraine, the eastern part of Ukraine and Russia uh, were friends, right? Uh, and I should say this, that, that uh, parallel to, to Ukrainian history, uh, Russia was established uh, in 14th, 15th century, by Ivan the Terrible, you probably heard of him, and uh, he uh, was established in Moscow. And then in 17th century, Peter the Great wanted to create an empire out of Russia uh, as an example of Roman Empire. You know, he was educated, and uh, he he was self-proclaimed emperor. And the idea of Russia, he established the idea of foreign policy of Russia, basically. What that meant is uh, ever. Um, expansionism to the east, most of all, because he, they wanted to go to, to the west, but they didn't have many wars, but they didn't know anything, but to, to the east. But since the heritage of Russia is Mongol Tartars, they didn't have any problems ex- uh, going to the east because it was the same people. And they went all the way to Ikutia, all the way to Alaska. Uh, now, the Tsarist Russia existed until 1917, as we know it. Now, Ukraine, the western part of Ukraine, <laughs> Uh, was conquered by Polish kingdom in uh, in 14th century. The eastern part of Ukraine uh, became part of uh, Russian Empire, and uh, the Russian Empire uh, also had uh, Crimean wars with Turkey, right? And they lost twice Crimea to English. Uh, however, English kind of returned it back to Russia for some reason. That's a good question to English people. So, and then. Uh, uh, after that, Ukraine was independent uh, in 1918 when the revolution uh, started in Russia. In 1918, uh, the Russian government got established, and one year it existed as independent Ukraine, full Ukraine, from the east to the west, uh, for one year. And then in, uh, at the end of 2018, the Bolsheviks came, and they were uh, having a larger army, and they defeated the Ukrainians again. Right, and then in in 1924, after the civil war, uh, Lenin uh, basically uh, annexed Ukraine as part of Soviet Union. Uh, So then Ukraine was sort of like part of Soviet Union all of a sudden. And then in 1991, and by the way, the Western Ukraine is a little bit different history because Western Ukraine was still part of Poland in 1939 when Hitler invaded Poland, uh, along with Stalin, they divided uh, part of Poland, and that was part of Ukraine as well. So since 1939, Western Ukraine was part of 
Soviet Union. So that's why Western Ukraine has a little bit more history of independence than, than the East. Now, uh, and then in 1991, when Soviet Union collapsed, uh, all the republics that Soviet Union had, and there were 15 of them, automatically gained independence, and, and Ukraine as well. So since, since 1991, Ukraine finally got its independence as it was centuries, centuries ago. So for now, 30 years, for 30 years, it wasn't Yeah, let me ask you a question here. Now, when after Ukraine left, uh, after the Soviet Union dissolved, I imagine that even during the times of the Soviet Union, there was a fairly local federal government with, or not federal, but local state-like government within Ukraine. Is that correct? Yes. Basically, uh, Lenin's idea of Soviet Union was based on the, on the Federation, per se. He, he saw how America was established, and he wanted to kind of repeat that. And uh, he, he wanted to have different cultures inside of this big country, and uh, from all the way from Baltic Sea, all the way to Alaska, from the North Pole, all the way to the Black Sea, right? So you imagine how big it is. And... Uh, all the ethnic groups were kind of established in their countries, even though, like, even like Ukraine, it's not just Ukrainians who live there. There's a lot of Jews there. There's, you know, uh, gypsies. I mean, there's a lot of people there. Uh, it's just he established this kind of uh, idea that these people can uh, basically have republics, in a sense, but not, it's a quasi republic. Basically, the, the uh, government of that was elected by the Communist Party that was elected from. I mean, not elected, but appointed from the Moscow uh, office. And it was kind of quasi-independent, but yet at the same time, it was a, a huge vertical, a very strong vertical for Moscow. Excellent. Now, what is the issue as far as why did Russia now believe that it should place a whole bunch of guys on your, I mean, military on your border and invade you with an ultimatum? What is the real, real pretext of what Putin is doing in, in Ukraine? Oh, Putin is a Bolshevik, KGB guy. So basically, it's the same as Lenin and Stalin and everybody else. He's just, he said it vocally that uh, he wanted to correct mistakes of Lenin and Stalin. For example, uh, Lenin didn't allow religion. So Putin uses religion as their weapon, right? Then, uh, uh, then for example, Stalin didn't understand the ethnic groups. He said, I'll understand the ethnic groups. I'll make sure I'll divide it correctly. So that's what he is. And also vocally, he said that he's, uh, the biggest tragedy of his life is collapse of Soviet Union. So he wanted to reestablish that. However, uh, uh, if you go back to Lenin and Stalin, the idea of Bolsheviks were the world revolution. And the world revolution meant that everybody should be communist, basically, in the world. That's why they reached out all the way to Central America, Cubans, and so on and so forth. Uh, China, and uh, people might not know that China was not communist all the time. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, uh, that's the idea of Putin. He's the same Bolshevik guy. He's bringing all the traditions of Bolsheviks back to it. So, number one for him agenda is to make sure that Ukrainians as a nation doesn't exist, right? Uh, which is a genocide. He said that. Uh, number two, that's a, that's a program minimum, what they say, right? And then the uh, maximum is going east to the territories ex-Soviet Union has. For example, he will say, well, we had Berlin to Soviet Union. Well, there, we, there you go. We had, obviously, Poland and all the Baltic states. We obviously had Romania and everything else also. So that's the program minimum. And then expansion after that. So basically, what he's trying to do is going back to where it was in 91. 
before the collapse, and then going into the new world order, as he said, which is the Russian civilization order. And he calls it the Russian world. And the Russian civilization order uh, means, first of all, uh, it's ruled by ruble, not by dollar, uh, as economical uh, strategy. And number two, it has the idea of uh, mentality as Russian. Basically, only Russian brings the peace. And the West is evil and all this. It all comes from Bolshevik ideology, right? Uh, But the idea is that uh, the problem with Ukraine for him, without Ukraine, he he cannot expand anywhere. He's just not. He can't. So he needs to have Black Sea. He needs to have right, right there inside of Europe. He wants to make sure that he can get his rockets right there with news. So Ukraine is very essential for him. And uh, for, for years and years, he created propaganda to make sure that uh, Russians, and not just in Russian, and also in the West, people are confused and uh, who Ukrainians are. And he was basically, Moscow was the PR agency for Ukraine, right? You never heard from Ukraine, Ukrainian news. You heard it from Russia, right? Uh, they tell it what Ukrainians are. So, and that's how they uh, created this monopoly on the news and the structure. And they sit on the UN, the Security Council, they, they sit in the World Bank. They basically sit in every major point. They stole everything the Soviet Union achieved and adopted to Russia, including the Ukrainian nuclear weapons. So, by doing so, they feel very prominent where they are and they can uh, call the shots, basically. It's sad. I mean, I, I imagine that you're not too happy that the Ukraine, the Ukrainians gave up their nuclear weapons uh, under the auspices of, I guess, uh, the United States and Great Britain, who thought that was best to do in, in, in that time. Turns out that the Ukrainians are turning out to be much better in, in, in fighting and supporting what they believe in. It, it makes you wonder, why would Russia, whose army performs so badly, who is pretty much nothing more than a gas station, believe that they have... A, they, sh- they could possibly hold any intentions for world domination. Your thoughts on that? That's a very good question. You know, I'm still baffling myself. You know, if I look at the, you know, I have, I have a military degree as well. And uh, I kind of was trained as a military officer. And I'm baffling also how they fight and what they do. It's, they don't fight like, uh, like an army. They fight like, uh, like a Mongol horde, you know, honestly. They just destroy everything in their side they don't care they don't have strategy in a sense you know uh i think they uh counted on the fact that ukrainians will probably will be weak uh that ukrainians will not fight back i think the um the putin's kgb agents told him the wrong story about ukraine and uh, i truly believe that uh, because of corruption, they basically he was paying the money to those operatives. They taking the money and buying yachts and did nothing, you know. And then uh, they gave him this information: "Oh, Ukraine is all happy about Russia," and they not right. So, and now more than ever, the United not just in Ukraine, all over the world, you know. So uh, I think he miscalculated. I think Putin, being a KGB guy and being, uh, uh, you know, the KGBs, uh, they all care about. The power and cash. That's all they care about. And uh, he was obsessed with cash and power. And uh, he thought he can bribe anyone and they'll be loyal to him because power is important. But apparently, uh, not not just him was obsessed with cash and nobody cared about power. So they just took the cash and that's it. So I think he miscalculated. uh, But then also, you know, I think uh, a lot of uh, money that Russia gained from selling the energy 
which is about, uh, in my calculations, about $115 trillion since 2001, which is a huge amount of money. And uh, that's how Russia became rich, in a sense, right? Uh, uh, I mean, it's not that rich country. The, uh, the economy of Russia is equal to Italy. So it's not that, you know, it's not the major. I can't hear you. Sorry, something happened. It, it, is, it is smaller than the state of California itself. It, it is right. sad, but it's not even as large as the state of California. Now, right. um, I think um, now that the are the Americans doing enough or is NATO doing enough to help Ukraine right now? No, NATO do, does nothing. Zero. Absolutely zero. Uh, in fact, I think NATO is just... Uh, um, an organization for uh, paperwork, that's all it is, and maybe taxing, and that's it. You know, if you look at, at countries who are NATO countries right now, they independently help in Ukraine. They are all independently helping, and NATO just doesn't do anything. So NATO, no. for me, even though they were established to defend NATO countries from aggression from Soviet Union, as you remember, right? So uh, Soviet Union now equals Russia, basically. Uh, and uh, I'm not seeing any practical involvement from NATO. Zero. They're not are even helping. Satisfied? Are you satisfied with what the United States is doing? Well, I should say this. I, I remember how Biden said that uh, back in January that uh, if Putin is doing a minor incursion in Ukraine, that's going to be fine. That phrase was kind of a giveaway that he was not preparing for war. And he was OK for Putin taking chunks of Ukraine, whatever he wanted. So that's my impression of that. Now, since nobody expected, including Biden, that Ukrainians are going to fight, that Zelensky is not going to flee, that we're going to step in and make sure that our lands nobody taken away, he was surprised. That's what I think. And I think he was in an uncomfortable position to sort of shift his old plans for 2022 in foreign policy. And uh, now he's forced to act upon what's going on, you know, and obviously as the, as the leader, as the leader of the free of civilized world, you know, he has to put an example and uh, he has to obviously a little bit too late, but better later than, than never. So a lot of lives are lost, you know, a lot of children have died, you know, women raped, all of that stuff, you know, and right now it's still not over yet. And who knows how Russia is going to, Behave because it, you know they, they they can just put a nuclear bomb on Ukraine. Who knows? Nobody. Well, I mean, do you still have relatives? I imagine you do have a lot of relatives that are still in in Ukraine. Are they in Kiev, Mariupol, Lviv? Where are they? Well, uh, my my wife's family are in Severodonetsk. Severodonetsk, that's Luhansk region. That's where heavy fighting is. Uh, her mom escaped. Uh, her sister, we got her out right in the few and the very few first days, and we. Uh, uh, put her to Poland, uh, but her grandmother, she's older, and and she is a disabled person, and we tried to get to uh, to save her from there, but she said she can't leave because that's her whole life there, and she doesn't want to leave her home, even though there is no home anymore. Her apartment- no social services either for her, right? Well, the so- it's not like social services, so there are volunteers in Ukraine all over and the, the volunteers going in and helping people who are stuck there. and uh, the, But it's hard, as you can imagine, because of the shelling and bombing and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, she, she lives with 30 people in the basement of a building, 
there are some children. And uh, we send her medicine as well. And then the volunteers do the food. And uh, she's refusing to go. And it's not easy to go from Severodonetsk because of the shelling. Uh, I mean, to leave Severodonetsk. So she's there. Then I have an uncle who was in, in the one of Frankies, and he has a big family. You know, he's a, uh, he's a big daddy. <laughs> he has seven children. And, uh, uh, and they're all uh, girls and one boy. And, you know, and uh, when the, the first rocket landed in, uh, in the one of Frankies, the ballistic rocket, his wife couldn't speak for three days. She was so shell-shocked. And uh, they basically took the car and went all the way to Poland. From Poland, they couldn't find rent, so they went to Croatia. So now they're in Croatia. Uh, but, you know, there's tons of refugees. Uh, as far as my family, that's what I have. Uh, but I have friends, you know, I have school friends. I have friends I grew up with. And your uh, business is, is bombed, I understand, as well? or Yes. Uh, well, we just opened, we just got a new rent building with investors because my uh, school was uh, growing and growing. The demand is there, you know. Um, everybody wants to learn jazz and blues, you know, so that's kind of a, a cool thing. And then... Um, and we opened a, a new building. We were about to start the new semester. I was I was about to fly on the twenty six to uh, with, with my wife and the, and the child, uh, but it was bombed. So the first rockets that that happened the very first day, there was a, a, every ballistic rocket hit uh, the uh, airports, and then some civilians. Uh, uh, Area. So my, my school was near that area where the rocket is. So it was bombed. So Shrapnel so, Hake got to it. Yeah. So um, we'll see. You know, I still hope to, to go back there one day, but not now, obviously. I am pretty sure you will. Um, let me just say that I, I think it is interesting that um, uh, what is what is happening now, where, where we're heading. So my, my next question is, do you think that absent... Putin going either nuclear or with, um, let's say, chemical weapons, that you can actually win this thing in the, in the near term? Well, first of all, he already used chemical weapons three times. Three. Okay. Already, I, I heard reports, but I don't know if it was ever confirmed. Yes, yes. And he uses all the time the, the phosphor bombs. Phosphor bombs, also chemical weapons. Right. So he's used that. Uh, as far as the nuclear, you know, the hinting, you know, recently I just looked at the uh, at the news and Russian news. I looked at the Russian news because I want to know what they think. And uh, the uh, the Ministry of, uh, how do you call it? The Ministry of uh, Extraordinary Events, that's their ministry. They put uh, uh, an, an information for the public and saying, uh, we expect that NATO will retaliate a nuclear bomb. That's what they said, a nuclear bomb, on the 24th of April. So you should be prepared. Da, 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 da. Then they took this off. So they're playing with that idea. So I think they, they're playing with that idea very much because Putin is a KGB guy. As a KGB guy, he wants to make sure that the Russian public is happy about the new victory over fascism and Nazi, as they say, right? And that's on 9th of May. So he needs to kind of repeat himself as a big, uh, you know, winner of that. And he needs to win something. So far, he didn't win anything. 
Well, unfortunately, given the prevailing wind to be depending on where he uses a bomb in, in, in Ukraine, the, the blowover is going to go right over his own people in Russia. So that would be an interesting thing for him to do. He already did this. For example, he in Severodonetsk, he, he blew up a chemical factory, a huge one chemical uh, the, uh, factory. You probably saw the, the pictures, huge kind of red clouds into the sky. Uh, all the wind went to, straight to Russia. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. The prevailing winds is to Russia, and, and it, he hurts his own people. Not a very smart man, just a, just a, what, whatever. Anyhow, <clears throat> I understand that you are trying to raise monies and you're having events to support the people in Ukraine. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, about uh, several days after the invasion, uh, my wife and I we thought, how are we going to fight? You know, first reaction was, hey, you know what? I'll go, I'll go fight. I'm a man. You know, I'll I'll go fight. But then we have a little kid, so and then we talked about it, and you know, I I, I can't do it, and uh, we decided to help however we want. And then by chance, we got uh, an email from a girl who asked me for help. I'm like, well, so what do you want? And she's like, well, I have. Uh, no money for diapers for my for my kid, and that started kind of an idea. The whole thing, I'm like, well, let's 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 focus on that, and uh, and then at first, Lviv was a huge amount of uh, refugees, and they didn't know where to go. So, and we started talking to them, and then we we realized it's a it's a big problem because first of all, uh, nobody was prepared for this. As I, as I said, N- number two. The Red Cross didn't help inside of Ukraine. Uh, they just helped outside. And even though uh, Red Cross, you have to file a, an application and then maybe in two weeks, they'll give you some food and maybe temporary housing. Temporary housing means kind of a gym and school somewhere. So it's not really housing. It's uh, just a shelter. And then uh, and then when we talk to these women, you know, they're very shy. And, you know, imagine you're living your life. You go to work, you, you have your car, apartment, house, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you have nothing, you know, and then you're running for life and you have no idea what's next. Shameful. Uh, right. So we decided, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's make a fund. And then a friend of mine who lives in Louisiana, he said, well, there is a site called GoFundMe. And I went to them and I sent them a message. They, we, we talked. I said, well, I, uh, that's what I want to do. Uh, because they vet in a lot of uh, scammers. Apparently, Go, GoFundMe was scammed uh, a year or two years ago. I don't know. And uh, so they were trying to interview me. So we talked, and then they said, okay. And uh, the idea of the fund is very unique because uh, we're sending cash. That's all we do. We're not sending clothes or food or anything like that. For, for, like, first of all, NGOs, that's all they do. Every NGO, they send clothes, food, and give shelter. That's all they do. Uh, but they don't do the needs would need it. For example, a woman say, well, uh, like she's in Poland, like, like yesterday. This is a, f- a fresh one. She's in Poland. She went there on the March 10th. So that's already like a month, right? And she's living in a hostel with uh, the same women, with kids. In one room, six women. And I don't know how many kids because she had two. So in one room in hostel, and that's all they have. They uh, they don't have the documents yet because it's a huge line in Poland to get any documents. And then uh, she applied for Red Cross. She didn't hear back from them yet. They need money. You're you're absolutely right. What they need is money. So how, how are they going to survive? So and uh, and we basically whatever we get the money we send it, and uh, they they buy baby stuff. Basically, like I have a baby. I I know how hard it is. You know. So and it's every day. So, uh, 
you know, so that's what we do. The same thing in Ukraine, for example, some some women uh, never left, right? And uh, they staying where they staying, and they, you know. Uh, so there was one woman also. She had about seven children, adopted two and five her own with her husband. But her husband is a, a disabled person. She lost her job, obviously. And then she's in, in the suburb of Kiev, near Bucha, but not in Bucha, near, near, near Bucha. And there was nowhere she can get away because it was all surrounded by, by Russian soldiers. So we thought, how are we going to help? And there was a pharmacy there in that village, and then plus uh, a, a grocery store. And so what we did, we found out the ability to send uh, through uh, a um, moneygram directly to her card, because apparently her bank upsetted the moneygram straight to, to her card. And that way, it was the only way to, to make sure that she eats with kids, you know. And it's tons of these things, tons of it. We helped, uh, I don't know, I have like 30-something uh, families. And, and not just with cash. We also help with uh, volunteers, for example, some... Uh, Woman, like she wrote to me from from her son, and uh, and her son is occupied, as you know. And uh, she said uh, that she has no money, all of that stuff, and obviously the volunteers cannot give her because it's occupied. So I called my my, my volunteers friends, and uh, and the Protestants. So they they kind of snuck in to her son and gave her the packages of food. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting kind of operation with it. So um, there's a lot of that. The, the, the most... Is there a way to provide you guys some, some, some help with your, what, you do, what you're doing? I imagine uh, one, of the, one of the producers told me that uh, you were doing a fundraiser or something like that for, uh, for Kiev. We are. I'm going to Los Angeles tomorrow, uh, and we're going to do with uh, a bunch of other artists, uh, including uh, daughter of Tony Bennett, Antonia Bennett, and then Mira Homik. She is a famous uh, violinist, uh, and I'm a blues guitarist, jazz and blues guitarist. So, so we're going to do a fundraising kind of concert, a private concert, um, to raise the money and uh, to to the fund and send it over. I have about. I would say about 15 approved families for help right now. Why I'm saying approved because we interview each of the uh, families right. because some, you know um, I can help. Out there's way. always fraud. There's always fraud. So I mean, yeah, you, you make sure. Right. Right. Well, let, let me tell you, we're we're close on time now, Vlad. Why don't you give us a closing a, a closing message that you'd like to leave with our audience? Well, uh, you have to realize, guys, that there is no. It shouldn't be any confusion anymore. There's a sovereign country with independent people got attacked by uh, an aggression of Russia. Nobody attacked Russia. Nobody, no one attacked Russia. Nobody attacked Russian people in Ukraine. Imagine Kiev is a Russian-speaking, Kharkiv is a Russian-speaking, Kherson is a Russian-speaking, Bucha was hard, is Russian-speaking. So everything, you know... So everything you, you hear as a confusion, confusion is made by KGB propaganda in order to win your minds to not give help and that Russia will do its genocide. So you have to realize that there is no neutrality anymore. You're either with a civilized world or you're not civilized. It's just what it is. And you have to be part of the civilized, no matter what. Vlad Debrinsky, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right, and I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen 
and or watch Politics Done Right Mondays through Fridays on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash politics done right or on YouTube Live at politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Please do not forget to follow me on Twitter for updates. My Twitter handle is at Egberto Willis, at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L. I-E-S. But don't you forget, listen to us live on air at KPFT 90.1 FM on Thursdays at noon and at Fridays at 11 a.m. all central time. Please get one of my several books out there. As I see it, Class Warfare, the only resort to right-wing doom for a contribution of $120. It's worth it. How to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors for a contribution of $120. How to make America utopia, take away the economy from those who rigged it for a pledge of $120. Get any two of those books for $200, any three of those books for $250. The Contributions for my books go directly to support our station, KPFT 90.1 FM. Alternatively, folks, please get your basic KPFT-only membership for $40, a Pacifica-only membership for $25, or choose from one of our many other gifts for your contribution. Just go to kpft.org, choose Politics Done Right for the program, and select an option either for our books or something else to support the station. It is definitely worth it. Please remember to keep your community radio station in your minds. Keep KPFT on your mind. Talk about it. Tell your friends about it. Tell them you know about this station in town, 90.1 FM Houston, that needs your support. That is there to provide that nourishment that we need. KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Well, folks, that's it for today. You know how I'm going to end this baby. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. 